0: Our gospel reading uh, this morning is from the Apostle John, uh, chapters 13 and 31. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This is good news.
1: Last week, we watched Mary of Bethany kneel down in this very dramatic act and extravagantly pour out this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, take down her hair and wipe his feet. She anoints his feet with this perfume. And we talked about last week that what Mary is proclaiming is that she was saying, you are are everything to me, Jesus. That you're everything. That I, I need nothing else but you. And this act really secured that. And then one chapter later, what we heard Chris read just now, we see Jesus kneel down and take up a cloth and a basin and wash his disciples' feet. Ones who, in in a very short time, are going to betray him and desert him and deny him, he takes up the towel, and the basin, and he washes their feet as if to say to them, very much like Mary said, you are everything to me. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Are there, are there ever, were there ever more beautiful words spoken than that? Let me pray before we think about it. Father, it is hard for us to comprehend this passage. Many of us have, have heard it maybe hundreds of times before. We've maybe thought about it, studied it even. Um, but, Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to see it with new eyes. I pray that um, you would speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, that we might truly see Jesus, that we might, we might see And know that he is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. We ask this not for our sakes, but for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever just felt dirty? Have you ever felt like disgusted with yourself? Have you ever, you know, sometimes I'll meet with people and what I can tell is they're sort of hemming and hawing around something um, that they're speaking about the thing, They're, they're kind of avoiding the thing they really want to speak about, but what I can tell is that they want to talk because what they feel is they feel dirty. Have you ever tried really hard to be good and yet what you found is that you couldn't be good? Have you ever gotten so sick of failure? Have you gotten tired of the same old sin? Have you ever looked at somebody and you thought, that person is not worth my time. They're annoying. They've wrecked their own life. Um, I don't really want to have anything to do with them. Have you ever been so mad at Somebody you've, you claim to love, your spouse maybe, or one of your best friends, and you got so mad at them that you said the very thing to them that you knew would hurt them the most, would destroy them. Have you ever lived in secrecy? Have you ever lived with secrets that you felt, if, you would, if they were exposed you would be rejected. And so you continue to live in secrecy, and you don't want anybody to find out about this burden that you're carrying. Have you ever run to some sort of um, vice? Whether it's food or alcohol or pills or pornography, because you were just so mad at yourself and at other people and at the world, and at God, that you wanted the pain to stop. Have you ever, if you have kids, have you ever been so mad at your kids that you just blew up at them, and you yelled at them to such a degree that it scared you? I could keep going, but I think you get my point if you've never felt any of those things, if you've, never, if you've never done any of those things or anything like those things that I've described, what I want to say to you this morning is that this is probably not the right place for you. And I can assure you that I'm not the pastor for you because you're already clean. And that means that what you would need is a place with other clean people who have managed their lives to such a degree that they haven't seen failure and mistakes, and they haven't gotten to the point of exhaustion. And there's churches, I'm sure, that are gathering spots for clean people who've learned to manage their lives. But if you've ever looked deep down at yourself and as you looked at yourself, honestly, what you thought, maybe the thought that ran through your mind is that if people really saw me, if they really knew me, what I'm terrified of is that they would never actually love me. They would never actually accept me. If you've ever thought something like that before, because you've been so honest with yourself that you've really seen what's there, then this is the place for you. This is the place for you because you're, you're ready for good news. If you've come to the end of your rope, maybe not now, maybe at some point, if you've come to the end of your rope before and you've thought, I don't know what else to do. Everything I touch, I seem to ruin. I cannot make myself better on my own. And you've thought, it's lunacy that I try to deal with my own guilt myself. Then you're in the right place. Because when you come to that point, you are, that's the point that, that, you're ready to hear about Jesus' love. And until we get to one of those points in our lives, the the fact is, this passage will just seem sort of blah. It won't seem that um, amazing. It won't seem that incredible. But if you felt that way before and you actually look at Jesus, this passage should overwhelm us. And what we do is we stop talking now about what we have to offer God or what we've done in our lives, and we put our hand over our mouth, and we say, what I need is I need for him to wash me. I need for him to make me clean. And that's what he does in this passage, and that's what he shows us. And so this morning, I just want to look at two simple things. I mean... It's very clear in this passage that we see the type of Jesus's love, the the posture of Jesus's love, and then Jesus turns and he says, "I want you to love the same way." So let's look at Jesus, and then let's look at our let's look at ourselves. And so, what's going on in this passage? John tells us this is um, before the feast of Passover. So. Passover is, you know, Jesus is sort of turning from the crowds. He's had this very public ministry, and now he's turning into this room with his disciples, and he's going to stay there for the next few chapters. And John is going to give us a peek inside really the heart and the soul of who Jesus is. And so Passover, why is it significant, and why does John tell us that? Because Passover, if you know anything about the Old Testament... Um, is a pretty big deal in the life of the Israelites and the life of the Jews because Passover was a time when they were delivered from bondage and slavery. And how were they delivered from bondage and slavery? To get very um, simple, they were delivered by the blood of a lamb. And God told them to take a lamb without any spot or stain or blemish and to sacrifice that lamb to him And to take the blood of that lamb and to put it over their doorposts, and when this angel of death passed by their house, he would pass over if he saw the blood of the lamb. Deliverance. Out of slavery, out out of bondage, out of captivity, by the grace of God, this is the, the place where Jesus decides to begin his slow march towards death. And if it's not ringing in your ears, let me remind you of John, John the Baptist, when Jesus first shows up on the scene, what does John say? He says, "Behold, the lamb of God, who comes to take away the sins of the world. The lamb, the perfect lamb has finally come." In the scene with his disciples, these I mean obscure, not very important, not very great men, It unfolds during the supper. The action takes place in the middle of the supper. The supper is already underway, John tells us. It's during supper that Jesus gets up. And normally what would happen is you would show up for a supper, and you would be greeted at the door, and then you would be invited in, and somebody would be there, the lowest in the house, the lowest servant would wash your feet before supper. And it makes sense in this culture because, as we talked about last week, and it's not very hard to put this together, your feet are nasty. They're still nasty in my house. Um, But they're especially nasty if you wear sandals and you walk around dusty roads that are filled with animal waste. And so you don't want to sit down to dinner with nasty feet. And so somebody would normally wash your feet. The lowest servant in in, in the house would wash your feet You think about it this way. Think about if it's the middle of winter in Greenville. It gets decently cold here. And you invite some friends over. And they come to your house. What what happens is you, you greet them at the door. You invite them in. And then what do you do next? You say, hey, can I take your coat? And you take their coat and you go and maybe put it in a closet or put it in another room so that you can go and sit down for dinner. Now, if you invited somebody over and you invited them in and you never took their coat and everyone's sitting around the dinner table still wearing their coats, it would be a little bit awkward probably. Like something's missing. And so the same scenario is kind of taking place here. Nobody washed their feet. And the disciples didn't wash each other's feet when they came in the door, which could have been done, right? Right? There's Obviously there was a basin and there was a towel that was there and it was waiting. But the disciples didn't wash one another's feet because Luke tells us on the way to this supper, the disciples had been arguing with one another. What were they arguing about? Who was the greatest? Who's the greatest disciple? And so naturally when they come into the supper and they all have dirty feet, and they look at the basin and the towel, and maybe the thought even crossed their mind, maybe we should wash one another's feet, but they're still hot out of this argument of who is actually greater than the other. They're not going to get down on their knees and wash one another's feet. And it's interesting that nobody washes Jesus' feet either. I mean, you at least might think that these disciples of Jesus, as, as he's there at this supper, would... Kneel down and wash his feet, and no one considered really stooping. Nobody in the nobody's considered stooping the, that low, and they almost have thought, "I guess since there's no servant here, we're just going to eat with dirty feet tonight." There's no servant. There's no one who's low enough to do this job, so tonight we eat with dirty feet. And Jesus, as we've talked about the intentionality of Jesus, Jesus seizes this moment. He seizes this moment to enact this living parable to them to show them this is is the extent that I come for for you. This This is the extent of my love for you. He's giving them a picture of what he's come to do. He's trying to give them an example because at this point they still don't fully understand yet. And maybe you're here this morning and that's where you are too. As I was thinking about this passage this week and studying someone, I ran across a quote from somebody in the first century. And it's always interesting to read a preacher and how they preached in the first century. And I'd never heard of this man before, um, Severian of Gabala. But what he said about this scene, it struck me. He said, "'He who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped around himself a towel. "'He who pours the water into the rivers and pools tipped water into a basin.'" He, before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth, knelt to wash the feet of his disciples. And Peter understood something about that because Peter objects pretty violently. And Peter says, you're going to wash, you're going to wash my feet. He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing, but he does understand what the act symbolizes. The act symbolizes the fact that Jesus is associating himself with the lowest form of servitude. And Peter's like, I can't let you do that. But what Peter didn't really understand is what he actually needed from Jesus. You know, Peter had been um, constantly wanting to assert his goodness and his greatness and his boldness, even to the very end of this chapter that we didn't get to read this morning. And Jesus is trying to show Peter. He says, what, I, what I'm doing now, what I'm doing to you now, you won't understand, but after you, afterwards you will understand. You don't understand it, you won't get it now, but afterwards you will. And how many times in our life has basically Jesus been saying the same thing to us? Because we're saying, no, not that way. I don't want it to happen that way. I don't want my life to go this way. And he says, you don't understand. You won't understand now, but, but wait. Wait, and you'll understand. And Peter and the rest, if we read the rest of the New Testament, oh, they understood. They understood. They got it. They understood the words of Jesus that he says a little bit later in this gospel greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That made sense now. And in not too long, as Jesus is on his knees washing their feet, maybe they thought back on that moment because not too long, Jesus disrobes again. And he takes on the form of the lowest, really, form of life. And he ascends across and water again is present. But now it's flowing out of his side and it's mixed with blood. And he proclaims as darkness falls over all the land and the veil of the temple is torn in two, he proclaims that it is finished. And at that moment, God turns back on his own son he forsakes his own son so that we will never be forsaken and that is the washing that we need and those who are washed with that blood are forever clean we sometimes sing it it's so strange isn't it we sing there is a fountain filled with blood Drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all of their guilty stains. And so this morning, my question is, what do you do with your guilt? We all have it. What do you do with it? Where do you take it? What do you do with your dirt? Do we, do we Manage it ourselves in such a way that on the outside we look okay, people around us think that we're okay, and we sort of try to play the same game with God. You know, the good news this morning is that you don't have to play that game with God. He just says, Sit down and let me wash you. I think, in light of this, it makes a lot more sense that John, who's writing this gospel and who is there and present in that room, that John calls himself in this gospel the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when I, I'll be honest, the years ago when I first read that, I was like, that's such a weird thing, that he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And it sounds sort of arrogant, but what I think John is saying as he watches this scene unfold and then the rest of this gospel unfold, that what John is saying is not that I'm loved more than the rest, but finally I can believe that I am loved. I finally believe it. Me. I am the disciple that Jesus actually loved. And it's the most important question for you this morning. Do you, can you call yourself the disciple that Jesus has loved? Can you honestly say this morning, I am one who has been loved by Jesus you know, if we can this morning, what, the, the question is like, what else do we have to fear? And that's what the disciples eventually came to realize because the one who spoke the world into being has now knelt before them and washed their feet. And then he went to a cross for them. What else matters? And this is what Jesus does is he takes this moment The one who takes the posture of a servant and washes the feet of those who are about to deny him and betray him and run away from him as he's arrested. And he turns to them and he says, Do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand? Do you understand that it's not about your faithfulness, but it's actually about mine? And then he turns and he says these words to him, verse, starting in verse 14. He says, If then your Lord and teacher, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. You know, for Jesus, loving God and loving neighbor was never something that he separated. And we like to separate that a lot of times. But Jesus says that these two things always go hand in hand. And Jesus doesn't hesitate to say, as he washes their feet, turning to them, do you understand what I've just done to you? If so, see it as an example as well. That this is exactly the way, humbly and sacrificially and extraordinarily, is the way that I'm calling you to actually love one another. You see, he's training them in this room, and we're going to see this unfold over the next few weeks. He's training them in this room to go out and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And this is part of that training. He knows that they're worried about who's the greatest. And he's saying, it doesn't matter if you are great in this world. It just doesn't matter. Get it out of your heads, he's saying. The last are going to be first. The weak things are going to shame the strong. What matters is that you are loved by me. You are cleansed by me. You are free. This is how they're going to know that you belong to me is that you actually love in the way that I love, that you love one another. Some of y'all might know the name John Stott. John Stott was an Anglican, um, I guess we call him a theologian and biblical scholar. He died back in 2011, so a few years ago. And he was very well respected. And in fact, so much so that in 2005, Time magazine named him one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. And there's a story I read not long ago about John Stott where he went to Argentina to visit one of his friends, a guy named Rene Padilla, who was also a theologian. And they were going to sort of into some indigenous parts of Argentina in order to tell people about Jesus. And when, he, when Stott arrived, they had to walk many miles to get to where they were going and it had been raining a lot and it was just muddy and it was nasty. And they get there and they kind of conk out and go to bed and really early the next morning before dawn, Rene wakes up because he hears this scratching noise. He's like, what is that? He looks over and this top 100 most influential people in the world is down on the floor kind of hunched over in the corner scrubbing Rene's boots and nobody would have known about it. Nobody, he, no, it wasn't something he was doing for the crowds. But Rene wakes up and he says, John, what are you doing? And he says, well, your, your feet really don't need cleaning, but your boots sure do. And I wonder, like, what the American church would look like today if we really understood the way that I think John Stott understood that he was loved by Jesus. And that love actually propelled us towards one another in a sacrificial, humble way. I mean, it's, it's, it's a simp- this is the simplest message I'll maybe ever preach to you. I hope it's, it's just that we, loved, we love each other the way that Jesus has loved us. But if we do that, we have to understand the way that Jesus has loved us. It has to astound us because we see how dirty we are. And so Jesus loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the very end. So let me end by asking this question. How do we love one another to the end? And that's what he's asking us to do. He's asking us the same way that I have loved you to the very end. I want you to love one another to the very end. How do we do that? I want to look at just three quick categories. And these aren't exhaustive by any way, any means. So I hope they include everyone to some degree. But... The first one I want to think about is marriage. I know everyone in here is not married. I don't mean to exclude those who aren't, but a significant amount of you are. And what does this look like? I mean, this is a, a relationship that we actually take vows in, right? This is actually somebody we choose to be with. We take vows saying that we'll love them to the very end of our life. This is, this is why I'm using this as the first category, And so often in marriage, what actually happens is that we only love the only other person to the extent to which we think they're loving us. Those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I don't want to go a little over and above because I see that they're holding back in the way that they're sacrificing for me, and I understand that Um, If I do that, eh, I don't know if that will let them get away with something. And I just want to put back something so simple in your minds this morning, that Jesus loved you, his enemy, not when you were lovely. And so, married folks, don't wait for your spouse to treat you the way that you think you deserve to be treated. Love them today the way that Jesus has loved you that's uncomfortable. It's sacrificial. It's not doing something to earn God's merit. It's understanding God's love and letting it flow out into your life. You know, if we can't sacrificially love in marriage, is there any hope for us who are married for loving outside of that relationship? It's pretty hypocritical of us if we Don't sacrifice for our spouse, and yet maybe we claim to have a heart for justice for the world. What about in the church? I think that's the rest of us. Um, You know, the church, as we watched this morning, it's a funny place. You don't choose the people who join the church. Uh, You didn't come here today and think that um, I, who am a member maybe of Grace and Peace, am now a fellow member with, like, Derek Nelson, I've known Derek a long time, so I'll pick on him. You didn't choose Derek. He's a great guy. You should get to know him, but you didn't choose him. Maybe some of you wouldn't even like him. I don't know. But now he's a part of the church. He's a part of your family. How do you wash the feet of the person? This is my question for you this week and next and the week after. How do you wash the feet of the person in your neighborhood group who annoys you? because they're there, right? The one that you don't connect with, the one that um, maybe bothers you. How do you show, instead of waiting for what I'm getting, how do I move towards the person um, maybe that most, I think most doesn't deserve to be there? How do I show kindness to the person in the church that maybe you're jealous of? you look around this room, I think there's a lot of people who um, are great. And it would be easy to look around and say, I'm kind of jealous of them. I'm jealous of their gifts. And what happens sometimes in our minds as we begin to tear them down in our minds because we want to bring them down to our level. What would it look like to wash the feet of the person that you're jealous of? What would it look like to be patient with everybody in the church, with the church itself, when it doesn't suit you? Or when it's not going the way that you wanted it to go or if you say this isn't what I signed up for and things aren't working out so I'm just going to silently slip away. Because there's other churches and I can just go and I can go find another. What does it look like to love one another the way that Jesus has loved us? Nobody here is better than anyone else. We're all here because Jesus for some odd reasons has had mercy on us. Let me end with this. What about our neighbor? What about those who are outside of the church? Maybe outside of these walls. How do we how do we love them? How do we wash how do we wash their feet? You know, there was a a religious expert of the law who came to Jesus one time and asked him that question, "Who is my neighbor?" And Luke tells us that he asked this question because he wanted to justify himself, because what he thought is, well, I already love and serve my neighbors, because my neighbors are the ones who are just like me. They're the ones who are all around me. And Jesus answered his question by telling him the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember this parable? I mean, Jesus takes, first of all, he takes the person that was despised by Jews Seen as one who corrupted their religion, known as half breeds, um, who intermarried with pagans. And he takes him and puts him as a picture of one who is loving his neighbor well because this Samaritan is good because he stops and he helps one who is in need. That one happens to be a Jew. That he shows kindness. And I wonder what Jesus, you know, it's this. I, I would love to see the, the look on the face of the religious expert of the law when Jesus answered with this parable. And I wonder what Jesus would say to us in this room today if we were to ask, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You know, the Samaritan quite literally washed the feet of someone who despised him. That his whole, that whole race despised him. And so many of us today in the church, I'm talking to us, we wail and we moan and we complain about what is unfair to us and our culture. Instead of ever dreaming of taking one step maybe towards those who could be considered our enemies and attempting to love them. And instead, we more quickly pick up stones to throw at them, or we pick up our phones to rant about them on social media. It shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way among Christians. Your neighbor isn't just your spouse, and it's not just your kids, and it's not just the person on the pew. It is also the crack addict down the street. It's also the person who is not the same race of you. It's also the conservative or the liberal. What Jesus is saying in that parable is that these are all your neighbor. How do we do that? Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Think about him kneeling. Enter into that scene. Think about what it meant for him to kneel and wash their feet in the flesh. Think about what it meant for him to hang upon a cross. Jesus is saying to us this morning, to whom he has showed mercy, do you understand what I've done to you? Do you understand? Do you understand this morning what it means that I love you? The extent I had to go to in order to show that, but also to secure that to you. And then he's asking us that question. If so, where does that love lead you? How does it change you this morning? Let me pray. Father, what we ask is that it would change us. But what we confess is that every morning when we wake up, this is not the first thing that we are prone to believe, that we're not prone to believe that you would actually love us, that what we more quickly want to do is to prove ourselves worthy. And so, Father, um, this morning, even as we come to this table, As we commune with Jesus, as we taste and see that you are actually good, I pray that you would continue to change us, that you would soften us, that you would make us meek and humble, that you would help us to even love those who might hate us. Father, that is a bold thing to ask, but that is exactly what Jesus is asking us this morning. I pray that you would make it so in his name. Amen.